Hi, I'm Pastor Gabe with the Reborn Church, and welcome to our podcast. I pray today as you listen, the message would inspire you, encourage you, and strengthen you, and give you a craving for righteousness, to pursue holiness with God-glorifying ambitions. We're going to be reading 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Verse 7. And it reads as follows. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Amen. You may now be seated. That's probably the shortest Stand if you ever had at this church, you've been reading a whole paragraph, but that's it. But it's very, very powerful, powerful scripture there. Before we begin teaching the scripture, breaking it down for you, I want to talk about some of the most embarrassing moments for a Christian. How many of you have some most embarrassing moments since you've been saved? Can I get an amen? amen. Are you telling me the truth, right? Amen. You've had some embarrassing moments. I can share a few embarrassing moments just being here at this particular location. I was standing on this stage here, standing on the stage. I had my son's iPad in my hand, my Bible in my hand, and also a a bunch of papers I had in my hand that I stick in here. And so I was walking and you see this black rubber thing right here in the front. It was loose. I got my foot caught in it and I fell off the stage in front of Monday night prayer people here. They saw the pastor fall off the stage. What an embarrassing moment that was. I remember Lisa looking, she's like, did I just see that? Did I just see this man fall on his back? Yeah, I fell over on my back. I was good enough to fall on my back because I wanted to protect that iPad that my son had. Because if it would have cracked, you guys know how much it costs to fix an iPad screen. Embarrassing moment. Another embarrassing moment was when we did a play called The One. I don't know if you guys ever seen a play called The One. It came out in 2004, we did it in 2005, we did it in 2006. And if you haven't seen it, Google it or YouTube it, called The One. It was actually uh, one of the first rap hip hopras, they call it. Well, I went to the bathroom during the rehearsal. And when I went to the bathroom during the rehearsal, and it was my particular, my particular scene that, that we were shooting, that we were, we, were, we were going through. And so I came out of the bathroom, and you know when you go to the bathroom, if they don't have that paper that you put on the toilet, you, put, you make one yourself, right. right? Haven't you done that when you go to a public bathroom? You make one yourself before you sit down. So I made one myself before I sat down, then I came out, and I was in a, hurry, in a rush. I came out of the bathroom, ready to do my play, ready to do my scene, with the toilet paper straight out of my pants, like that. What an embarrassing moment. But I got saved. I got saved before actually any of the cast members saw me. I got saved. Now, one of the guys, and he's not going with us. He had passed on. He saw me. He said, he said, RBD, hold on. Boom, he grabbed it from me. And he helped me. He rescued me because vocab didn't see. Nobody saw. That was an embarrassing moment. But let me tell you something what's even more embarrassing than any of that. This is the most embarrassing moment, I believe, for a Christian. Even for us standing here, sitting here today. It's sure this happened to you. You are not right with God, and somebody comes up to you who's not a believer or a believer, 
and you're not right with God, you are sinning, in, you are sinning, you, you haven't repented from your sins, or you, you are still wallowing in a certain particular sin, you haven't been praying, you haven't been seeking God, and somebody comes up to you and they ask you for prayer. And you feel like you can't pray because you are in sin yourself. That is one embarrassing moment for Christians. That is an embarrassing moment because it exposes, it's, God has a way of exposing your sin. And your sin will see you out. So it's like you have this moment when someone comes up to you and they ask you and they need you. They want you to pray with them. They want you to, to intercede for them. And you feel like, gosh, I am deep in sin right now. I can't even approach the throne of God right now. And so you are embarrassed. Think about Jonah. When Jonah was in the boat with those men and the winds had hit and the winds were, were tossing the boat to and fro. And, the, and the, the unbelievers that are pagans said, well, hey, call on your God. Because we know that you serve God, call on your God to calm the storms. And he didn't do it because he wasn't in right standing with God. So what did they do? Kick Jonah off the boat. Kicked him off the boat because he wasn't in right standing with God. We need to remember as men of God, those who are married and those who are not married, you need to understand this principle. The understanding husband, the understanding husband knows his relationship with God needs to be right. It can never be perfect. We continue to make mistakes. We do things that we are not proud of, but you are not loving your sin. You are not covering your sin. You are, you are away from your sin. You are fighting your sin, trying to move away from that sin, and you understand things and how to work with God, but then you understand your wife as well. The understanding husband knows his wife as well. For the single people, you need to understand this principle. You need to understand who your wife, future wife is. Husbands here understand their wives and why it's important to understand your wife. The understanding husband is the sermon title today. The understanding husband. There's so many principles that we're going to get off this scripture here. Off this one scripture, we're going to get so many principles. Now, the group of people that's addressed here is the husbands, the men of God. Before that, it was the older women. It was the younger women. It was the older men. It was the younger men. It was the employee, the employer, or in that translation, it was the bond servant and the master. And it says last week, we, we, we went over three, likewise the wives, and we talked about wives and submission. And that's really a cultural uh, struggle today with wives or the woman submitting to the man. And so we discussed that last week and why it was important for the Christian wife to submit to the unbelieving husband that he may be won over by your conduct. So we went over some of those things and there are notes back there if you need to pick one up as a reminder of what you need to do and how you can apply that to your life and also your marriage. So here he's addressing the men. Let's go to the scripture. Here he's addressing the men. Number one of the sermon notes says, husbands, remember your biblical role as leaders of the home. You are leaders of the home. You cannot forget that you are a priest of the home. You being the men of God, you being single men of God as well. You are priests, meaning you have access to go before God. You have access to go before God. Yes, you do have access to go before a holy and righteous God in prayer, seeking God. 
praying to God. We are commanded to pray. And men of God need to remember that you are priests. You can go before God. And you will and you should and you can go before God. It says, likewise, husbands, verse 7. Are you there, church? Likewise, husbands, right off the onset, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. If you have your notes, if you have your notes, you have a pen, I want you to write these things down, just, just these words I want you to write down. So as a reminder, men, and also as, a, as women of God, a reminder is you to you as well to remind your husband at times that he is, number one, a priest of the home. Priest, I'm going to give you these, these, these four P's that I got from Pastor Vody Bacham. He says that men are a priest. We know that we are priests. Number two, you are a prophet. You are a prophet in that you are to proclaim the word of God over your family, teach the word of God over your family. That is what a prophet is. Not someone who's out there saying, I'm going I'm, to, God said that today it's going to rain for three days and it doesn't rain for three days. And you know that he's not really a prophet. We're talking about a prophet, one who proclaims this very word to his family, to his friends, to his co-workers and the people in his house. And especially he proclaims it to his wife in teaching his wife the word of God. Them studying together. You're a prophet. You are also a protector, men. You are a protector. A protector. You are to protect your wife. You are to protect your wife. Why? Because we know that we are physically stronger than women. We know that we are physically stronger than women. Sometimes women are physically stronger in men. There are in some instances, especially where Sister Betty, Sister Betty can deadlift some weight. I can't deadlift that much weight. But overall, naturally we are to protect them because we are stronger than them. So physically we love them and they are, they are more precious. So we are to protect them. And the final one is to remember this, that you are a provider. You are to provide for them. Likewise, husbands. So I hope you wrote those four things down. You are a priest. You are a prophet. You are a protector and you are a provider. You are a provider. It says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. So men understand their biblical roles. They are to understand their wife. Do we have any couples in here that have been married over 10 years? Raise your hand. Over 10 years, yes. Mom and Dad, you guys got everyone beat. <laughs> you know, they got everyone beat. The Perez family got everyone beat. They've been married. Well, how long have they been married, Mom and Dad? 57 years. That is amazing. 57 years. That's a man who understands his wife. Now, some say, well, understanding husband needs to understand his wife. If you know your wife, if you married her and you know your wife after 10 years, sometimes our wives change. They change a little bit. You can't think, you can't think they're going to stay the where they were 10 years ago because obviously the husband, he changes too. So you have to get to know and understand everything about your wife so that you can continue to understand her. Things ain't always the same as it was in 09 as it is in 19. Sometimes the women get a little older. They need, they need to understand every, you need to understand all of their vulnerabilities, their strengths as well. 
need to understand them so that you can provide for them, so that you can protect them, so that you can pray for them, and so that you can also love them in an understanding way. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Know who they are. This is your job, husbands, to know your wives. You are to know them. If they like to dance, then you should probably what? Take them dancing. Right? Well, I don't want to be seen the way I want to be Then dance in your living room then. Take them dancing. If you know that some of the foods that they like, and all of a sudden they start to dislike them because their bodies change a little bit, and they want to do something else, but instead, of, instead of, you know, bringing in something that may harm their body, they want to eat something else, and you are used to eating a certain thing, and they don't make that thing anymore for you, it's not time for you to be upset. It's time for you to understand why she won't make it anymore, rather than complain about it. Husbands, remember your biblical role as the leaders of your home. You are to understand your wife. 57 years, there's a whole lot of changing going on during that relationship. But he went with it and understood his wife. And you continue to understand your wife because you communicate with your wife. You don't let things come between you which will disconnect the communication between you and your wife. When you get upset at your wife, then you better be the one to fix it. Initiate it. Make the recovery. Fix it. We're going to tell you why you need to do this very thing. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. It says showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Husbands, it's your duty to know your wife spiritually, physically, and emotionally. It is your duty. When you said, I do, that means you say, I will. I will. This is a covenant that you are in, not a contract. It's a covenant that you are in. You married people. You single people that are here today that you will get married, you will enter into a covenant relationship with your wife not into a contract because when it's a contract and you think your marriage is about a contract when you start doing something else and you don't do what you need to do all of a sudden if the dissolution of marriage takes place and there are only a couple of reasons for one to be divorced a couple of reasons how many of y'all know what those reasons are raise your hand if you know what those reasons are for a man a man of god to divorce his wife or vice versa a woman of god to divorce her husband there are a couple of reasons there are a couple of reasons, okay? And so, you want to understand your wife? If you have a bad marriage, and things aren't working out in your marriage, you need to fix your marriage. Your friends will tell you, we'll just go get involved and find a new marriage. But you ain't got to fix, you ain't got to go into, into a, looking for someone else to remarry when you can't even be married now. You need to fix the marriage that you're in now. And that becomes a new marriage. It takes work. It takes work. And the husbands that are here today and the men of God that are here today, it takes work to be an understanding husband. But if you're not communicating, you're not talking, then you'll never understand her. You have to talk. You have to communicate. 
There's always things that come in that will try to break down your line of communication. It's like the pipes in a home, an older home. They get clogged up with stuff and the water can't go through. And the water can't flow through that pipe because the pipes are all corroded and corrupted. There's things that are clogging the pipe. And so you can't let anything get involved in your, your relationship with your wife where there isn't any flow going. There's, not a, there's no communication going. And too many times when there is some hostility in your marriage because you're arguing or fighting or something, the husband is to take the initiative and to correct it. Rather than be prideful and sit in his seat and pout and say, I'm done, I've had it. You have to be able to initiate it and make sure you're doing your part. Let me tell you why it's important for you men to do your part. We're going to go there. Why it's important. This is very important. Point number two was that. Husbands, it's your duty to know your wife spiritually, physically, and emotionally. You won't be perfect, men. This is not a scripture for saying that every man has got to be perfect. That will never happen. That will never, you'll never be perfect where your communication, if it's not, will be broke down with God. You can't be perfect. You won't be perfect. Neither will your marriage be perfect. Let's continue in the text. It says, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. They are saved as you are saved. They have the Holy Spirit as you have the Holy Spirit. They have an eternal security with, the, with, with their place in heaven, just like you do. Women of God are powerful. Women of God have been used throughout the Bible. Women of God are used in the church. They have a noble position in the church. And so treat them with honor. Treat them with respect. And here's the reason. So that your prayers may not be hindered. So that your prayers may not be hindered. I want you to write this down if you have your pens and you have your notes. For the men of God... You have it there in the notes, but you can rewrite this down. Effective prayer requires right living. You want your prayers heard by God, you need to be living right. You're not going to be perfect, but you need to be living right if you want to have an effective prayer life. You need to be living right. Sometimes, when you're watching TV and you're having a conversation, someone calls you on the phone, you're watching TV, and someone important picks up the phone, I mean, is calling you on your cell phone, and you have the TV blaring, you will pick up that phone, and you will, you will, you will, you know, scroll, most phones we scroll now, right? You, right. <laughs> you scroll, you answer the phone, and then you look for the remote control. You look at the remote control, sometimes it's right there in front of us. If you're like me, you have it right there by you. You ain't got to go looking for it, it's right there. You pick it up and what do you do? You press mute to turn the TV so you can't hear it. You press mute. And it's almost like when you ain't living right with God, and you know that you're not living right with God, you're, you're loving this one particular sin in your life. You won't quit it. You won't stop it. You're just saying, you know, I'm under, I'm, I'm, I'm under grace. I'm under grace. God forgives me. I'm going to keep 
keep sinning this particular sin that no one knows about. I'm going to keep sinning. But yet, it's like God has muted your prayers from heaven. I ain't listening to you. I ain't listening to you because your life is not right. You've cut down communication with your wife. You're not talking to your wife anymore. You're not honoring her. You're not respecting her. You're not doing everything that you need to do to love her or even to understand who she is. I've muted you. I'm not hearing your prayers anymore. And God understands everything of what goes on in the house. And he understands all these things that are happening inside the house. And sometimes we get this, as being pastor, I get, I get this a lot of, well, you don't know that woman. You don't know what she's doing to me. You wouldn't want to pray for her either. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I got born again, then I realized that she might have been the wrong one. You don't understand what I'm going through. No marriage is going to be perfect. No marriage is ever going to be perfect. But it's the husband's responsibility to understand the wife, to protect the wife, to care for the wife, to love her, to honor her, to cherish her. Understand she is the weaker vessel, not weaker in your mind, but just physically weaker. You, you, she's like something, a precious vase. And you take care of her. You take care of her. But when that breaks down, you're no longer taking care of her. And you're, you're, you're still in ministry. You're still in ministry. You're doing things in the ministry. You're busy in the ministry and you're neglecting your wife. You're preaching and you're treating your wife like mess. You're counseling somebody, talking to somebody, but yet your house is all a mess. Your prayers have been hindered. So there's things that we need to realize that we need to do to make sure we are doing our part. Now, you can't do, you can't make the wife, if she's straying, or she can't make the wife do something that would maybe align herself back up with you if she's being rebellious and she's not listening to God she's tuned herself out from the things of God but you still need to do your part in honoring God and still honoring your wife so that your prayers may not be hindered there's been a lot of marriages and I've seen this because I can put myself in that category a lot of marriages Christian marriages pastors who were married you can look it up where their marriages have failed. Marriages have failed because pastors, they get attacked like you wouldn't believe in their marriages. One person's going up this way. We're both, we're both to be heading up to the top in this relationship with God, but somebody stops and stops loving Jesus. When they stop loving Jesus, they stop loving their husbands. Or when they stop loving Jesus, the husbands stop loving their wives. And it breaks down relationships. If you have a great relationship with God, it improves all of your relationships. Every relationship that you have with your children, with your grandchildren, with your daughter, your son, with your grandma, your grandpa. When you have a great relationship with God, when your relationship with God is wonderful uh, horizontally, everything parallel lines itself up. It just improves your relationships with others. When you are in right standing with God, you are doing your part that you need to do your part and not quit, but do your part so that your prayers may not be hindered. It's very, very important. Very important. Go to the application part of the sermon notes. It says, husbands, 
Continue to work at growing with your spouse by knowing her strengths. You should know your wife's strengths. You should know what makes her tick. You should know what she loves to do. And embrace that. Embrace that. You're also to embrace her vulnerabilities. There's things that your wife doesn't like to do. There's things that your wife loves to do. Or sometimes she may be weak in areas. You are to understand that your strength is to utilize to protect her from those weaknesses. Don't take it to a place or somewhere that brings up some nostalgic feeling from 1990 when you both were messed up. Protect her vulnerabilities. Some of you like to listen to old school music. Come on, you know you like listening to the old school. It's Sunday, they're going to be playing it all day. <laughs> Some of y'all like to listen to the oldies. Right? But let me tell you something. There's some songs I can't listen to. Because I don't want to go back to 1993. Because you start entertaining some things that happened then, it becomes nostalgic, and you make me want to go do it all over again. So when your wife feels like that, and she starts thinking like that, you need to protect her from those thoughts. Because those are some vulnerabilities that you will find out about them when they continue to talk and communicate with you. But when they stop communicating with you and stop talking to you, then there's an issue. Then there's an issue. Listen, men, you just want to make sure that you're doing the right thing before God. You want to make sure you're doing your part. Because if you're not doing your part, God's pressed the mute button on your prayers. Do your part. Because the last part of that says marriage requires work. Now, for the young people who are not married here, when you say, well, what do you mean marriage requires work? It requires work. It requires work. You have to continue to work at building a strong marriage. And if I had time, I would bring up the Perez family with 57 years in marriage. They'll tell you what works. That's a beautiful thing to be married that long and to still be in love with your wife. You know all of you want that. Everybody wants that. But some of you right now don't have that and you need to get that. Fall in love with Jesus all over again if you need to. Go back to your first love. Remember where Jesus first came and saved your life. Remember that feeling that you had. That moment when Christ came into your life and you radically changed. You fell in love with Jesus. That's how you should feel about your wife. Number two, it says this. Husbands, utilize your strength to cover, protect, and secure your wife. I have to stay right there because I have to tell you something called the feminist movement going on. How many of you know about the feminist movement? All the women probably raise their hand. Come on now, you know about that feminist movement. All of you know. Feminist movement, we, we, are, we are told to be, from the women of God, who understand this, we are, what I said earlier, we are to be a priest. But when the woman of God or a woman who's unsaved has children and the man doesn't step up and become a father and he's, he decides to continue to run rampant and not be a father, what happens? The mom has to be both father and mother. So she assumes that role because a man's not doing his part. And that's one of the curses on America is the absentee father. Yeah. 
There's more homes in America that do not have their father there than probably any place in the country, in the world, in America. There aren't any fathers taking care of their kids. They're just weekend dads and stuff like that. Or not even that. They're not even around. So the woman says, you know what? I'm going to assume that role. I'm going to be provider. I'm going to be protector. And guess what? She has to because the man is not doing his part. Now, it's a shame if there's a man of God that's operating that way. Because it shouldn't be like that for the Christian man of God. He's to be the priest of the home. And so you have this, this, this split. You have this split. And that's the curse, really, on a lot of lives that there aren't men stepping up to be men. They're really not. Utilize your strength to cover. But now, here, the other part of that. We are to protect. But this feminist movement, they're like, look, we don't need a man to protect. I don't need a man to protect me. I can protect myself. Matter of fact, I'll probably protect the man, the man I got. I'll probably protect him. Because he ain't being a man. I'm going to protect him. That's what the feminist movement is all about. I'm going to provide. Because he don't make enough or he's not doing his part. I'm providing. I'm stepping up. I'm being all of this, all these positions. And I can still be all of these positions and still be ruler over the husband or the man in general. So this is the things that are taught to the younger generation. You young women that are here today, you go to school, you're taught this. But if you understand why we are called to nurture you, protect you, value you, you would submit according to the word of God. You would submit. And understand it's, you want to compliment the man. They work in hand in hand together. You compliment the man. And so the man is supposed to do his position in providing, protecting, being priest and prophet over you. The feminist movement will tell you, no, women, you can do that and do it yourself. You don't need another man. You don't need men. You don't need men to do this. We can do it ourselves. And so there's women empowerment messages going all over. And the reason why a lot of that happens is because the men aren't doing what they need to do and, and, and walking in their role. And it shouldn't happen for the Christian men of God. All you have to do is do what God called you to do. And he said to love your wife as what? Christ loved the church. And the wife understands it and she's willing to submit to you. That man prays for me. That man protects me. That man provides for me. That man brings the word of God and teaches me. And we work together. We study together. It's a beautiful thing to have and to obtain. Go to the last part of that that says this. Husbands, make sure you are in good standing relationship with God and your wife so that your prayers may not be hindered. Remember, it won't be perfect. The relationship won't be perfect. Doesn't mean that God's not listening to your prayers. You're doing your part. You need to do your part so your prayers may not be hindered. But I want to mess with everybody else here. <laughs> okay? The husbands, raise your hand if you're married. Raise your hand if you're married. Yes, yes. Amen. Raise your hand if you're single, man. Raise your hand if you're single. <laughs> yes, sir. Okay? Now watch. I want you to go. I want you to, this is a principle for everyone. For everyone. To make sure your prayers are not hindered. It's the same principle. I want you to turn to the book of Matthew. Go to the book of Matthew. I got 10 minutes. Go to the book of Matthew. 
chapter 5. Go to Matthew chapter 5. Go to Matthew chapter 5. Verse 21. When you're there, say, say amen. I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it all just so you get the context of this. Talking about angry, being someone being angry. You have heard, this is the words of Christ, this is the words of Jesus. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Speaking of the Ten Commandments, 22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So he, he's using that, the, the, the murdering parallel to someone so mad that they wish death on a brother. Hate him, I can't stand him. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. That's why you know you can't ever say you didn't break the Ten Commandments. Because you break that one almost every day. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. Verse 23. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and, and there remember that, you, that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. Leave your gift at the altar and go. Okay, so we just read it in its context about anger. Okay? Here's where you get a lot of false teaching coming into this very thing right here. And this is what I was taught. And I'm sure maybe you might have heard it. You'll feel the same way. Jesus is talking about having a problem against your brother. Being angry against your brother. Comparing it to murder. Forgiveness is key. Forgiveness is key. At the very end he says, so if you have an offering, if it means it's a church relationship. So if you have an offering, he's saying, wait a minute. Just hold on to it. And go. Well, go where? Hold on to my offering and go where? Let's continue on the text. And go, he says. Leave your gift before the altar and go. It says, first, someone say first, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. He's saying, hold on to your gift, but go reconcile with your brother in the church. Go make up, initiate the conversation. Initiate the reconciliation. Go and talk to the brother. But hold on to your gift. Don't bring it to the altar. That's more important. Jesus is saying, your money doesn't matter to me. What does matter is forgiveness is when a brother can go to another brother who feels he's been wronged or vice versa and go and make up and offer forgiveness to that brother. That's more important to Jesus. But wait a minute. I've always been taught the other thing. If I take my offering and have a problem with my brother, and if I go to the altar and lay it at the altar, then God can't multiply it. God can't triple it. God can't give me the hundredfold blessing if I have a problem with my brother, if I take it to the altar first. This isn't a business meeting. This isn't an investment so that you can triple your money as in a pyramid scheme. That's not what this is. This is something that Jesus is saying, it's not important for you to come give it's more important for you to offer forgiveness and go make things right with your brother. That's more important. You don't think God can take care of his house and provide for his house? See, the problem I was taught was, okay, so if I can't take my money and, and, and leave it at the altar, that means God is not going to take it. God's not going to multiply it because I have a trouble. I'm having trouble with my brother. Then I'm looking at Jesus as some sort of a pyramid scheme. 
I'm looking at Christ as something that he owes me. Now, please tell me you don't give because you hope to give. You hope to get a hundredfold back. If you give, you give because you love your church. You understand who your relationship with God is. You give because you give, because you love the Lord. You love Jesus. Everything that you have belongs to him anyway. And he gives you jobs. He gives you finances. It belongs to God. But if you give because, well, I, I gave, I used to think this. I gave $85 last week. Now, I think in three weeks, it's going to be $360. If it's not $360, by three weeks, then I'm giving on an unholy altar. I'm giving on an unholy altar. That means there's something going wrong at that church. I used to, they used to teach this to me. This here, lesson right here about the money thing. Hold on to your gift. Like if Jesus said, hold. but you read it, you'll never hear Jesus say, because I ain't going to multiply it. He says, it's not important to me. What's more important is to offer forgiveness because that's what I came for. You can't do nothing right. You can't do nothing right. You've done everything wrong. It takes Jesus to come to do everything right because we've done everything wrong. If you read that, read the entire text and not just take someone's word for it because I could just come up here and say all kind of stuff. Oh, the reason why he didn't get blessed because there was a problem with the brother and so he put the money at the altar. He expected a hundredfold blessing in return. He expected a, multipl a multiplication thing happening here. And because it doesn't happen, then there's something wrong with that church. There's something wrong with that church. They used to teach us that. How many people are in poverty that would say at that church? Is anybody rich over there at that church? The people need to be blessed at that church. They need to have cars and nice clothes and money in their pocket because they've been given at that church that God is blessing that church. But when you look at all the big mega churches, all the big mega churches, the only people that are rich in that church are the people standing behind the pulpit or on the, or on the stage. The rest of them are broke. The rest of them have, are walking in poverty or living in poverty, waiting for this in return of this, of this investment to finally hit. Let's read the text again. Leave your gift, verse 24, before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come offer your gift. Then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going to court with him, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Notice the, notice the, the it's, it's like salvific, it's like salvation. Only one judge could acquit you. Only one judge could acquit you. And it's because you have an advocate with the Father and his name is Jesus. Because forgiveness, we're talking about forgiveness. This whole passage is about forgiveness. It's not about money. It's about forgiveness. Read that. Study that. And if you could read it in Greek, you get a greater understanding of it and what it means because it was written in Greek. Read that. Study it. Don't take my word for it. Go back home and read it yourself. Jesus is talking about forgiving an angry person and what anger does. Again, husbands, let's turn back to the book of Matthew. Husbands, Love your wives. Know your wives in an understanding way. Since you probably go home and listen to some oldies. Remember that one song? There ain't no woman like the one I got. You remember that song? There ain't no woman like the one I got. You guys should remember that. That's why you need to continue to understand your wife. Because there really ain't no woman like the one you got. And only you know that. But the thing about that is... 
Guess what? Your wife knows you better than anybody. Your wife knows everything about you. All your weaknesses, things that you've done, everything. She knows you more than you know yourself. That's why you need to understand who your wife is. And treat them with love and respect and honor and protect them as the weaker vessel. And if you have a sleep apnea machine, you better pray she don't unplug it. Or absolutely, someone trips over the plug. If you have sleep apnea, let's pray that that doesn't happen. 